All right, let's dive into 1 Peter then today. We are in uh, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 17. Now, we're wrapping up this section, and he begins this with the word finally, is, is the first word in 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally what? Again, we're going back to, and I'm going to read this one more time. I promise this will be one of the last times we go back to this these verses. But they are pivotal verses, so we're going to read them again. 1 Peter 2, 9-12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Maybe you'll have memorized this by the end. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Again, this... Oops, wrong one. These are the verses that... Excuse me, I'm having some bad allergies. These are the, the verses from which the others follow, right? So he says, you were not a people, now you're God's people. Why? To proclaim his excellencies. Now keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, right? And then he, the, the, the among the Gentiles is important there. Again, not among non-Jews, although they were non-Jews, but really his emphasis, I think, non-believers. Then he talks about the government. Then he talks about masters who are unjust. Then he talks about husbands who may not be uh, obedient to the word. Then he talks about uh, husbands, about wives, husbands with wives. This is all flowing out of this. And this, so the final section here, when he says, finally, finally what? The last explanation, the last part of the explanation of these verses, of the keeping your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that the last part of this explanation of, of your role as God's holy nation and the royal priesthood, this is the last part of that. We, we did all the being subject. That was part of it. This next section of the text is the last part of it. So 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 9. Finally, Finally, this is the last part of it. Again, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And again, this makes sense in light of what we've talked about. This final set of instructions in regards to this particular role of the church, that we're keeping our conduct among non-believers honorable, finally have unity with each other. Be sympathetic toward one another. Have brotherly love. Have a tender heart. These attributes that are key attributes for a Christian who, is again, is living in the midst of a people that do not belong to God, that don't care about God, that don't want to be with God, band together. Because, again, what did he say? You were not a people before, but now you are God's people. You are the holy nation, the royal priesthood, the people for God's own possession. You are all in this together, right? So these, these words are all about unity, right? They're all about fellowshipping and having some sort of attitude toward one another, right? Excuse me. Uh, so the second part of that, do not repay evil for evil. Well, again, what did he just get done talking about in these verses, right? He just got done talking about the government, Maybe the government's going to mistreat you. The masters who are unjust. The husbands who do not obey the word. And he didn't really say it with the husbands and wives, but the implication is the same when he uses the word likewise. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't do that. And on the contrary, be a blessing to other people. 
Even people who do not belong to God, even people who are not part of the group, even people who may be treating you badly, treat them well, be a blessing to them well. First uh, Peter 3, 10 through 12, this quotation, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and the ears his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What's his point in this quotation here? How we act is ultimately going to be the, determina the, the determining factor of whether we actually are in the group, right? This group that he called us to be in when we started with these words here. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He called you out of darkness. Well, if you keep doing the things of darkness, right, which is what these are, these are the things of darkness, the, the evil tongue, the speaking deceit, the doing evil, the uh, causing conflict instead of peace, right? Those are the opposite of the thing that we've been called to do. So these are the attitudes, these are the actions that would prevent us from being in the group and, and suddenly we would be not a people again, right? We'd be not in the group anymore because of these actions. So this finally section of the text, some overall instructions, not specific to any sort of relationship that he's already talked about, but having unity of mind. Well, how would we have unity of mind? Well, that comes from our shared understanding of God's instructions for us, right? That comes from our shared understanding, the knowledge that we have of Scripture, the sympathy for one another. I like that word sympathy. What does that mean? Uh, it means that we are thinking about how each other feels. We're not just having this head knowledge thing, unity of mind, right? It's not just about our head, but how do we feel towards one another? How do we feel when each other is suffering or each other is struggling or we see the difficulties of our fellow Christians? How do we feel about that? The brotherly love that we share, that we feel like a family, right? That we have a tender heart, the compassion for one another, and then a humble mind that we're not thinking, oh man, I'm so great. Look at all these, look at all these schmucks in the world. We're so awesome because we're Christians and we're better than you. Like that's the exact opposite, right? Having a humble mind, understanding that you're only so because of the grace of God. And isn't that what he was talking, what isn't that what was Paul was talking about when we talked in Wednesday about it was not by works, but by grace, the remnant of Israel who is left by grace. So don't be so arrogant. Oh, I'm so great. And they're so horrible, right? Do not repay evil evil for evil. These ideas, these instructions, this final set of instructions for how to keep our conduct among the Gentiles honorable, among those who do not believe. Uh, the next section of the text then, 1 Peter 3, as he talks about this example of the Lord, 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, the, what's the implied answer? Well, there might be someone to harm you, but it's not God. But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Who's the them? Those who would harm you for what is good, those who are causing you to suffer. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone, to anyone rather, who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Again, these go back to the previous section, right? The, excuse me, 
the being subject to every human institution, well, maybe the human institutions are causing you to suffer. Maybe those are who are harming you for what is good. Or maybe it's your master. Servants, be subject to your masters. Maybe they're mistreating you, causing you to suffer. And again, the them there is fundamentally important, right? Have no fear of them, even those who are causing you to suffer for righteousness sake. Maybe it was husbands and wives. We know he says, again, maybe your spouse is an unbeliever. So maybe there's a cause for suffering there. But what? Rather than, as he said previously, rather than repaying evil for evil, instead do what? Well, be prepared to give a defense. Give a reason for why you are acting the way you are. Why are you submitting to the government even though they're horrible people? Why are you why are you acting good at why are you treating your boss with respect? Don't you know your boss is a schmuck? Why are you treating your spouse nicely even though they mistreat you all the time or, or selfish? Like all of these things that we have, maybe our friends ask us or our coworkers ask us or our family members ask us, right? About the attitude that we have towards the world and, and hopefully it should be the attitude of the sympathy and the unity. Why, why are you at church all the time? Why do you spend so much time with your fellow Christians? Why do you, why do you always skip whatever? It could be whatever. Why do, you, why do you not let your kids go to stuff instead have them come to church? It could be any number of things, right? The whys that people ask, all the whys that the world asks. Be prepared to tell them why, right? And what's the ultimate answer? We're honoring Christ the Lord is holy. That's why, because of Christ and what he did for us. You need to have always prepared. And, and if you haven't done this, you need to do this this next week or maybe this weekend. You need to have something that you are prepared to say when people ask you why you do things as a Christian. Now, maybe they're not going to ask it that way. Why are you acting like a Christian? Maybe they don't know that. But when they ask you why you do things, and you know it's because you're a Christian and because God said to do them, you need to have a, a thing prepared to say to them about the mo your motivation, uh, your love for God, Jesus' sacrifice for you, your uh, desire for pleasing him, your, I don't know, self-sacrifice, whatever you want to put in there. But you need to be prepared to have that, right? You need to be ready to give that. And it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be pretentious. But it will be a little bit weird. It will sound weird to people if you say religious things in normal conversation. It does end up sounding weird to a lot of people, and that's fine. But you need to have something ready to give them, something ready to say to them. Because again, what did he say? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they see speak against you as evildoers, well, that might be part of this too. When people are speaking against us as evildoers, well, I have a reason why I'm doing it. I'm prepared to give a defense. I'm prepared to talk to you about who God is and what God expects and, and the resurrection or whatever. It could be any number of things. We have to be prepared to talk about these things, to give that defense as we are thinking about our persecution and our suffering. Now, the reason, the thing that he says next is the explanation of it, right? 15 through 17, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. What do we see here as we are thinking about how we engage with the lost? Gentleness, 
respect. What is that having a good conscience? Well, you know, there's times when we're doing what's right. We're doing good things. We're doing righteous things. And we're doing those in public. But you know, sometimes when nobody's around, we're really not doing what's right, right? When it's just us and our families or it's just us by ourselves, we're not doing the right thing. We're just doing the right thing in public because God tells us to. We don't want to damage the reputation of the church. But you know, when it's just us by ourselves, we're not really doing righteous things and having righteous attitudes. Well, that would prevent us from being able to do this with a good conscience, right? Do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. If you're having this sort of double life, you can't give a defense for the reason, for the hope that is in you with good conscience. You don't have a good conscience. You're, you're doing this sort of halfway Christianity thing. And ultimately, what's the point? So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. It is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, not that we always will, but sometimes we will, than for doing evil. You can't just sort of have this halfway mode, right? That I'm going to submit to human institutions when it's convenient, when everybody knows about it, when it's not easy for me to cheat, whatever it happens to be. I'm going to submit to my master when he's around and when he's paying attention and when he's not looking, then I'm going to do something else. I'm going to, sub I'm going to submit to my husband when he is nice to me or whatever my wife, my wife i'm going to treat my wife nice if she's if she's doing nice things and if she's pleasant to be around right we have all these qualifiers that we put on things the qualifiers that are just quite frankly not in the text that's going to prevent us from being able to give a defense in a good conscience it's going to prevent us from being able to stand above the slander and the evil speaking against us because you can never hide your unrighteousness as well as you think you can. We're not that good at it. Maybe you get away with it for a while. Maybe you hide it really well for a bit. But you and I know it always comes out, doesn't it? You're never going to be able to keep your double life, your dual loyalties to God and to yourself, People are smarter than we give them credit for. They know what's going on, right? People know, people in your life, your coworkers, your friends, your family, they know if you're just doing this sort of half-hearted Christianity thing. You're not as, we're not, I should say you, we, we are not as sneaky, as good at hiding things as we maybe think we are. That's going to prevent us from being, what did he say, the, the people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. That was the section previous in chapter 2. If we're having this sort of half-hearted Christianity, we're not proclaiming his excellencies. We're proclaiming his mediocrity. Oh, that God that they serve, he's just a mediocre God. Look how mediocre all his followers are. Well, that's not good either. So as we wrap up this section, this section of the text of the explanation of his commands to, to how we relate to the lost, rather, we're wrapping this up and I hope that we understand and we realize people know when we're not do, giving our all to God and people are going to ask. And when we are doing what's right, we are giving our all to God. Again, people are going to ask, why? Be ready. Have something to say to them about the hope that you have. Let's end in a prayer. God, I thank you for your 
salvation. I thank you for the hope that you've given us. I thank you for the example of Christ that we can follow. Please be with us as we are continuing in the midst of a difficult time. Give us peace and wisdom and strength. Help us to see the avenues of glorifying you even in this time. Help us to proclaim your excellencies to the world. Even though we are maybe more isolated from people, we still have opportunities to evangelize and influence others. Help us to take advantage of those. We're thankful for your love and for the blessing that you give us every day. We ask you please be with those who are fighting COVID and those who have it already. Be especially with Sarah and the people in her facility. Give them strength. We love you and we thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.